On today's Locked On Jayhawks, we preview the Kansas basketball season, some of our biggest questions, some of the biggest strengths we feel like as KU basketball officially back this Sunday. You are Locked On Jayhawks, your daily podcast on the Kansas Jayhawks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Derek Johnson. You can hear me as well Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on KLWN in Lawrence with Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thanks for making Locked On Jayhawks your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get any of your podcasts. You can find our show wherever you get any of your podcasts, and you can also listen on our YouTube feed or watch if you like and subscribe to the show. And thank you to the everydayers out there tuning in to each and every episode. Today we're previewing the Kansas basketball season right around the corner as it'll uh, actually be two weeks from yesterday, the first official game. But they have their first exhibition game against Illinois this Sunday, an Illinois team that – I don't know, I view it to be a top 25 team. They're top 20 in Ken Palm coming into the year. So uh, this will be our official, I guess, KU basketball preview coming into the season. First, this episode of the show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash college and use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for a first deposit match up to $100. Daily fantasy sports made easy with Prize Picks. All right, so uh, KU obviously number one in the AP preseason poll. Uh Big 12, number one in the preseason picks there with Houston right behind. Obviously, the expectations are for this team to be good, right? The expectations, no matter what, is for Kansas to be good. That's just how it goes when you're at Kansas, when you're a team coached by Bill Self. That's always the case. But the expectations may be a little bit higher this year with them being preseason number one. I think on Ken Palm, they're number two. Uh, you look at some of the other sides like Bart Torvik, like no matter what, they're, they're in that top two or three range pretty much everywhere you look, which means that you're going to be viewed in that upper echelon of uh, you know national title type of teams. And there was that one stat that was kind of surfacing around about, well, the, the past three times that Kansas has been preseason number one under Bill Self, they lost in the first weekend every year. And I, I think when you look back to some of those, like one of those was the 0-9-0-10 team, which – I mean, that team was unbelievable. That team lost two games in the regular season. I don't view that team losing in the second round as being like, oh, see, they were preseason number one. That's why they lost in the second round. I view that team as losing in the second round because that was one of those teams that just got bit by the snake of March that can just lead to weird things happening. That team was the number one overall seed. If you said right now you're the AP preseason number one team and you're going to get the number one overall seed, of course you could lose in the second round, right? That, that can happen. We, we've seen – one seed's losing the first round. But you take your chances with that because that typically means that your team is really good and that you should go a little bit further. So um, I'm not worried as much about that when you look back at the past. I think we did a deep dive on one of these shows. Uh, you go back to like 2004, uh, which was one of the years that the Kansas got a preseason number one, actually the first time with Bill Self. Um, of the 19 teams who had an NCAA tournament, because you can't count the, the COVID year, uh, it was like 15 of the 19 made it to like the second weekend. And if you take away the the three Kansas teams, I don't know, I, I, the number on that might have been wrong. I, I think it was 13 of 19, something like that. Um, but it was like, it, it, it was basically like half the teams make it to an Elite Eight. And then it was like six of the 19 make it to a Final Four. It's a 33% chance to make the Final Four. It's pretty good odds. And then if you take out those three Kansas teams to be like, oh, those Kansas teams are kind of the teams that are the 
lowering the odds, like the low end of things, that they're the ones that are kind of the albatross in the stat, then it's like 40%. So uh, I feel good about that. But uh, obviously, obviously, overall, this is not a very deep team. Normally, we see number one teams in the preseason poll. Part of the reason why is because they are so deep and you just keep listing off names. I think that's what happens in some of these ways. It's like this game of, oh, I can name that guy. Like, oh, their ninth guy, I can name him. I know who he is. He's pretty good. And I think that's like what happened maybe in the 2018-19 team that, that ended up being the number one preseason team. You go to a Final Four the year before. Next year, you obviously lose Devontae Graham and Malik Newman and some of these guys, but you have the two Lawson uh, brothers. Uh, you have all these um, transfers coming into the program, whether it's you know Charlie Moore, certain guys that you're expecting to take a big leap, and it was just a lot of names, but we found out that some of those names weren't you know to Kansas caliber to number one caliber on that team this team is different it's not just the depth of names in fact there are questions about the depth and the depth of names on this year's team it's just that you know you have three of five starters we've seen what hunter dickinson has done at the collegiate level like you have more real production than maybe you did on on one of those other teams like even you go back to the 0405 team that was preseason number one for kansas the team was loaded with you know, freshmen, players who eventually made up like the national championship team. So um, obviously this team, not overly deep, and that becomes a real question here. But the guys who are expected to play should be really good. We know Dewan Harris is one of the best point guards in the country. We know Kevin McCullers, uh, a really good 3 and D wing, or, well, a really good defensive wing who can do a little bit of everything for you. Uh, we know that K.J. Adams was the Big 12's most improved player last year and can be a great glue guy and – um, yeah, we don't totally know the fit. Saw some of it in, in the Bahamas, and it looked pretty good. We know Hunter Dickinson's an All-American caliber big man, right? You know you have talent off the bench. You know, whether you tap into all of that, you have top 100 recruits, you have five-star recruit, whatever it is, um, you know you have some of those things. How can you get there? Now, as far as the starting lineup projection, I'll, I'll, I'll go with this right now. Um, Dewan Harris, Kevin McCuller, K.J. Adams, Hunter Dickinson, and a shooting guard. That is going to be everybody's starting five projection, and I will not venture far from that. Where people are probably going to differ at this point in time is who is that shooting guard. So basically last week at Big 12 Media Day, Bill Self mentioned like everybody in answering the point of this question. Then he was later asked in kind of a breakaway session by Gary Bedore of the Kansas City Star about – um the shooting guard spot and who's winning it. And there's a quote about him saying like, if the first game was today, Jamari McDowell might be the guy. Now, keep in mind, I remember last year, there were certain times of this quote, like last year, it was all about the center position. Uh, last year, it was hey, all four guys. Do we play them in even amount of minutes? I remember one of the early scrimmages, Cam Martin was like as the starter in an early scrimmage. Was that just to test him to see if he could, you know, take on the, the bearing? Obviously he ended up getting injured and everything. Or was that indicative of where things were? Who knows? Um, maybe we do see somebody start at shooting guard just for Bill Self to send a message or to test how the guy does, right? Like maybe Jamar McDowell does start on Sunday against Illinois. And it's his way of viewing it as like, hey, I think he's the best to start right now, but let's see how he performs in the limelight on the road against top 25 opponent. Because if he performs well in this, then I do feel comfortable starting him for the first game of the season and, and by game three in the Champions Classic under the big lights. Um, but I, I here, here's my thing. I, I'm going to take Nick Timberlake to start game one. 
I think you go with the veteran guy. If, if all of them are, are close together, you know you need the three-point shooting, you go with the veteran. So my projection right now is going to be Nick Timberlake starts game one. By conference play, El Marco Jackson is starting at the other uh, shooting guard position. But again, based on you know what, what he said, like I, I guess if you gave me, will Johnny Furphy start a game this year? Probably be like, yeah. Will Jamari McDowell start a game this year? I don't know. That one may be a little bit tougher because there, there is a part of those quotes from Bill Self that you do wonder, is this just him saying it to try to motivate those guys that he's expecting more from, like Nick Timberlake and Marco Jackson, to try to light a fire under them to get them to play better? Or is this real, right? Because the thing is with Jamari McDowell, I, I've been high on Jamari McDowell the whole way through. I think he's going to be a good 3 and D player for you. I think he's going to be a really good player for you long term. But if we go back a month or two ago before the Arterio Morris stuff, Jamar McDowell, the conversation there was that he was going to redshirt. So obviously you're not going to redshirt anymore because you need the guard depth, but what changed from being comfortable redshirting him to all of a sudden now, now he's the guy most comfortable starting on day one. I guess it is possible. Like you can flip that switch, especially for freshmen who come in right away that first couple months, like all of a sudden something will just flip at, at any point in time. So it is entirely possible that that happened, but uh, I'm kind of viewing it more that way. But, yeah, if you gave me Will Furphy or McDowell, one of them start a game along the way, I'd say, yeah, probably. Wouldn't surprise me. As far as my rotation, um, I think you're going to look at it this way. Early going, it'll be nine, except for probably the Champions Classic. That game, it probably will get whittled to seven or eight. Um, then eight by conference play. And then by the time you get to, like, the postseason, you're probably only playing seven guys. Maybe an eighth guy is playing, like, five to eight minutes a game. Uh, so for my rotation, obviously, you have the starters. Dewan Harris, KJ Adams, Kevin McCuller, Hunter Dickinson. I'm going with Timberlake. Whether it is El Marco or Timberlake, I think both will be in the rotation. Uh, Furphy, I think, will be in the rotation. Then I'll be Parker Brown and then Jamari McDowell. That's all nine-year players early going. Once we get down to eight in conference play, I think one of McDowell or Furphy gets knocked down. And then, boom, you get down to, to those eight that you need to get to. All right, let's get to our top four strengths for this team, our top four questions for this team coming up in just a moment. This episode of the show is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available, which is why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs help you find the right people for your team faster and for free. I bet you a bunch of college basketball coaches wish they had LinkedIn jobs to help them find players in the transfer portal. You just add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. They have simple tools like screening questions to make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. You want to make the final push here in 2023 before we get to 2024. Set your business up, all right? Small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college. Post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Four best things, the four strengths, the four things you feel most certain about headed into the season for KU basketball. Then we'll get to our top four questions about this team. Uh, number one to me is the inside scoring for KU. You know, Bill Self is so elite at getting easy baskets for his basketball teams, whether it has been a team who spreads the floor or a team who has a big man down low or a team who plays play the tribute. No matter what, he has always been good at finding easy baskets for his team. And one of the best ways he's done it is finding ways to get angles and seal-offs for a good big man. You didn't really have that 
over last year's team, KJ Adams was good in, in certain areas on the offensive end and, uh, you know, getting dunks and alley-oops. But it's a little tougher to with the way that KU seals off and gets those angles. A lot of times you have to get the entry pass over a guy who's fronting him. It's a little harder if you're center six, seven. Well, enter Hunter Dickinson, who's like seven one, seven two, and all of a sudden that becomes a little bit easier. And Dickinson, too, being experienced at the position where KJ, you know, as much as he did fill in admirably there, um, it's not like he, you know, was super experienced there from because the idea when KU brought him in was to be like a wing, right? So Hunter Dickinson has played at the center position in college for three years now. And that's going to add to it a lot. But even then now, like Hunter Dickinson is going to be good at inside scoring, whether you throw it to him on the block and just let him go to work, or if it is Bill self creating plays for him, you know, KJ Adams is still going to be good uh, getting buckets inside. And I think one thing that's being undersold right now is the idea that now that KJ Adams is going to be guarded by a four man, whether it's a true power forward or a kind of guard wing type. Yes. He will lose a bit of the speed advantage he had when he was being guarded by a center. But he's going to be able to bully another. It, it, like if a team has a six six wing, even if it's six seven, the same height as KJ Adams, but he's a little leaner, a little lighter. KJ Adams should be able to kind of play bully ball and straight line drive into guys. And I mean, he shot over sixty percent from two point range uh, last season. He's going to be able to take advantage of some of those matchups and be really good driving inside. And then even Dewan Harris, Kevin McCuller sporadically are going to get to the rim. I envision Marco Jackson's going to be able to do well with his athleticism and first step. Inside scoring should be a really big strength of this team. You get easy buckets with Bill Self. You should get easy buckets with the personnel they have to. Uh, second biggest strength I feel like is, is and these are not necessarily in order, but uh, passing, passing the basketball. Now, last year, Kansas was one of the better teams in the country and uh, you know, field goals made off assist ratio, which that can be kind of a, I don't know, that that's one of those stats where it's like, you don't necessarily want to be like number one in that stat, where it's like, all your field goals are coming off assists, because that almost implies that everything you have to make has to be set up by a play or by others. And over the course of time, over the course of like key moments, there's going to be time where, you know, they, they scout the play really well, or you can't get like a set shooter open or, or a screen. Open. Like somebody just has to make a shot off the dribble or create something for themselves and therefore for the team. So you don't want to be like too high on that ranking. You also don't want to be too low because that means that then you just have a bunch of like ISO chuckers on your team. Right. Um, I, I think Kansas is in a good spot and, and you can easily diagnose why Kansas is in that spot. Um, I, I do think at times, yes, you could have used more off the dribble creation, but uh, I think it's because you have Dwan Harris, who's going to create a lot of easy passes for you. And overall, you did have a lot of good passers on the team. Uh, passing should be a strength once again, because Dewan makes this so that it's a, a strength anyway, right? They could have a bunch of non-passers at the other four positions. I would still view this as a strength just because of Dewan Harris, because of how good he is there. But it really is all over the court. Like Kevin McCuller is a good passer, especially once you get him in the open court. Um, when you look at a Marco Jackson, if he's playing the two, he's kind of like a point guard. So you basically would have two point guards in there at the two position. Then you go further down the line. KJ Adams for a big man was a pretty good passer last year, right? I mean, that, that was something KU took advantage of. They'd get him in that short roll spot, get him to catch the ball at the free throw line, let him make a decision. And he would find open guys a lot of the time. And then with Hunter Dickinson, like that's been something that Bill Self has talked about that, that he's arguably the team's best passer outside of Dewan Harris, 
So like you have a really good passing team that's going to, I think, really help this idea that you're you know trying to fit new players in and you're trying to figure out your spacing and how players work together with each other. The passing is really going to help in that way. And I think having good cutters makes for better passers. And I think KU has some good cutters because if I think this is kind of a high IQ, smart basketball team, I think would be one way to put it. Uh, okay, number three here, defense, but eventually. So you look at Ken Palm right now. It has Kansas as the number one defensive efficiency team in the country coming into the year. I uh, uh, I, I think this is going to be a good defense. Let, let me preface by saying that. I don't know that I'm fully buying into number one in the country because I do have certain questions about, well, how are you going to defend a team who has plays five out or how are you going to defend a team who has a center who can shoot the basketball a little bit? Like There are certain questions that you have there. No question, though, that you have great personnel to be really good on this end. Dewan Harris, Big 12 Defense Player of the Year. Kevin McCuller, for my money, best defense player in the Big 12. You probably have the top two with, with the two of those guys. Uh, KJ Adams, solid enough defender. Hunter Dickinson at least is a good like one-on-one center defender, um, even if he's not as great of like a switchable defender. But I, just, I, I have questions about I, I think it's going to take them a little bit of time to settle into the exact type of defense they want to play, right? There are different types of defenses that the KU played with like David McCormick, whether it's different types of drop coverage, where you want to drop him to, uh, do you just sink him further? Do you play all the way out? Do you ice ball screens? Do you hedge balls? There's a lot of different strategies and ways that I think Kansas is going to have to figure out what they want to do specifically over the course of the season. Usually we didn't, see that stuff kind of figure out with David McCormick, which I kind of view this more similar to. It's a it's a bigger, you know, more lumbering center with Hunter Dickinson, similar to David McCormick, to where it took those teams the last two years, David McCormick, till, you know, maybe January, February, March, to really start to figure it out on the defensive end once they figured out what they want to do. Now, I still think the floor, because you have DeWan and Kevin McCuller, is a top, what, 15 defense, top 20 defense or something like that. They'll still be a good defense all the way through. Maybe by the end of the season, they can be in contention for being the number one defense. But I think that one's going to be a little bit of a slower process. It's always be good on defense, but to finally be great, that might not happen until later in the season, which if it does happen, that's fine because, hey, if it's later in the season, perfect time of the year. Uh, my last one here is uh, Bill Self's X's and O's and close game abilities here. That is always just going to be a moving strength for KU. Bill Self dominates in close games. He does so well against top-tier opponents, and we know he is the best X and O coach in college basketball. Those are advantages that you were given over other teams. You could argue to me that if you swapped I'm, – I'm trying to think like how far down the list I would go here. I don't know, like Texas. If you swapped Kansas and Texas roster I, – I do like KU's roster better than Texas, so this is not me – saying that but I do think Texas does have a very talented roster and I would almost argue that Texas has maybe the second best starting five in the big 12 um if not it's close if you gave Bill Self Texas roster you could argue to me I'd be comfortable putting them number one in the preseason poll that is the Bill Self effect so you have a really talented roster you have the best coach in college basketball that's obviously a big strength. All right, let's get to our four biggest questions for the team coming up in just a moment first this episode of the show is brought to you by prize picks Prize picks is the most fun you can have winning up to 25 times your money this football season. You just select two or more players, up to six, pick more or less on their projected stats, and then you place your entry. It's very that simple. They have quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stats types that make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. And that is not a joke. You can get in on the NHL, uh, the NBA starting up now, college basketball once that starts up, college football, NFL, like, the, it's an unlimited worth. So whatever is your fix, whatever is your favorite sport, 
you can get in on that action. Go to prizepicks.com slash lawn college and use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash locked on college with code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Four biggest questions headed into the season for KU basketball with uh, first exhibition game this Sunday against Illinois. Number one, do you have enough depth, right? Um, theoretically, if everybody stays healthy, shouldn't be an issue. And I think actually once you come to March, you know, it's fine because you might be playing a seven-man rotation anyway. Um, I think over the long haul, over the course of the season, it's more of the question there. And I think specifically it's what do you do if somebody's injured? And we've seen Kevin Kohler have injuries in the past. We saw Dewan Harris get, uh, you know, rolled up a couple times last season. Um, it, it's it's the worry that if you have an injury to a key player, can somebody else fill in for them? Less about the worry of like players getting tired or anything like that. Typically, it's actually the teams who do have shorter benches who actually go further. Like you look at a lot of the recent national title winners, maybe outside of like UConn last year, who. UConn was playing like a, a solid eight or nine man rotation. Um, a lot of teams win it with short rotation. So it, it's it's not like the biggest worry in the world. It's more of a worry over the course of the regular season and just to avoid injury. But as Bill Self has kind of said, like, I don't know how you go into a season and just be like, oh, let's just avoid injury. Hypothetically, if you had more good scholarship players, you could be like, well, if this player gets injured, then we're more set up to deal with it. But I get what he's saying in that, like, you know, hypothetically, if Hunter Dickinson got hurt, I don't think it would matter who if they got another good backup five because it'd be hard to win at that point, right? Uh, anyway, number two, uh, do you have enough three-point shooting? Nick Timberlake, good three-point shooter, but he still has to make an adjustment from lower level to high-level college basketball. How much is the three-point shot going to dip, especially with him being the main target on the floor for KU that other teams are keeping an eye on? You know, what can you get from Dwan Harris and Kevin McCuller? What are you going to get, if anything, from K.J. Adams? How many threes are you going to let Hunter Dickinson take up? What are you going to get from your bench? Can Jamari McDowell and Johnny Furphy shoot well enough from three? Do you have enough three-point shooting? I don't think this team needs to be great at three-point shooting because I do expect the defense to be good. I expect the rebounding to be good. I expect the inside scoring to be good. You should be a good passing team and avoid turnovers with, with Dewan Harris. You should be a team that gets steals the other way. There are a lot of ways that if you're just an average three-point shooting team, you can get away with it. The problem is, are you a bad three-point shooting team? And it, it hurts your spacing and all of a sudden then it's hurting your inside scoring and it's hurting your turnovers that's where the issue comes in do you have enough three-point shooting number three what kind of production do you get at the two position it's up in the air right now um but it's not not really a worry right now because it's built off hope where it's like oh i'm hopeful that nick timberlake's going to shoot this and marco jackson's going to be this and you know jamari mcdowell and johnny furphy are going to be this but what happens if the shooting guard position this year is the same position as the center position was last year, where we went into the season going, yeah, I don't know which guy that's going to be, but I, I think they'll get production anyway. Like Ernest Duda, Zuby Adjifer, really talented, and Zach Clements coming into another year, and Cam Martin, a high-level production at D2. Like, you know, I, I don't know who it's going to be, but I, I feel good about it no matter what. And then you ended up going into the season, and you didn't feel good about it, and you had to move K.J. Adams to the five, right? What, what happens if you have that same sort of issue at the two position for KU this year where you're just not really getting that consistent production from anyone. How much of a hindrance would that be for KU this year? I do think there is some level that you need at least one of those guys at the two to kind of settle into a real spot. Right. Um, so I think that could be something else there. And that would probably go back in line with three point shooting a little bit too, depending on uh, what happens there. Last question here is if a slow mesh 
to start the year happens where, you know, it takes a little bit of time for everybody to kind of put stuff together. How's that going to affect the record with a very difficult schedule? If this is something where it does maybe take a little bit more time than you expect uh, because of incoming freshmen and, and asking a lot of them to play key roles and transfers coming into the program where it isn't as seamless of a transition and it does take this team a couple months before they hit their stride, you have a very difficult non-conference schedule, right? Indiana, Missouri, Maui Invitational, Kentucky, you go on and on and on that could your non-con record suffer a little bit more than we're used to, still would probably be good, but more than we're used to. I mean, you look at the, the Maui Invitational with with five top 11 teams in the AP poll, you could go one and two in the Maui Invitational, right? That could happen. Um, if it is a slow mesh, not necessarily expecting this to happen, but if it does, where does that put you behind the eight ball? I still would think because of how loaded the Big 12 is, you'd still be fine with all the opportunities in front of you. I probably just believe that if you win the Big 12, you're just going to get a one seed. Like worst case scenario, you share the Big 12 title, you lose early in the Big 12 tournament. You had a okay non-con, you get a two seed. But if you win the Big 12 because of how good the conference is and because of how many good wins that would give you, at the very least, you're going to be a top two seed. So uh, there is that, but but how much would that kind of affect things? All right, that is our KU basketball season preview for the year. We will have a KU Illinois preview specifically for the exhibition game later this week. Uh, Nick Schwartz is going to join us tomorrow's episode. Episode after that, we'll have our KU Oklahoma football preview. This has been Locked on Jayhawks. You can find us anywhere you get any of your podcasts. You can like and subscribe to our show and check us out on our YouTube page too. See you next time with LOJ.